0: listening to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. I'm Josh Wise. Today, I'm talking with Christina Garcia, the Member Mobilization Manager for Alianza Americas, who's also based here in the Midwest in Chicago. Um, We've been working with Alianza over the last year on the connection between trade and immigration and migration. Um, The two are pretty inextricably interlinked, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So Christina, let's start off uh, tell us who you are and what Alianza Americas is
1: Sure thank you um, so Alianza Americas is a um, it's a platform it's a network of organized migrant organizations across the United States. we were founded about 13 years ago because we saw that there was a vacuum or a need in the area of having an organized a uh, platform, a platform for people, immigrant communities to come together and voice concerns um, around, in the realm of social, economic and political, um, around issues, political issues that pertain to them. And so the founders at the time were seeing that there was a need and a void in, in that particular space, that there were other folks sort of on, around the table, but not necessarily the migrant voice which was something that was critical to the founders and um, to the present, we really prioritize, um, you know, opening up spaces of dialogue around all issues having to do with, you know, things that affect migrant communities. So immigrants from Latin America and the Caribbean in particular. So we do, um, we have a, a membership structure. Uh, we have, about 50 members across the United States. And we have uh, deep ties in Latin America, particularly in Mexico and in Central America. So we work um, around issues having to do with economic justice, um, social justice, anything that affects migrants uh, both here in the United States and in their countries of origin. So because we, we take a transnational approach to everything we do, we particularly believe that that you know, nothing that happens in the United States is disconnected with what happens in people's countries of origin. So we mm-hmm. pay attention to issues of not only national, domestic policy, but also foreign policy and, and what is coming down the pipeline that could harm or benefit um, our, our communities.
0: There are a lot of reasons that people migrate or choose to migrate. Um, but a, a big part of that is, is economic displacement. And that's sort of the connection into trade policy um, is that, you know, when, when we think about uh, trade policy, we're thinking about the movement of goods or the movement of money, but just as important in producing those goods or creating that money or, you know, putting that money to use is the movement of people. Um, and, you know, I think we would both agree that our trade policy right now um, has focused on goods and money but left people behind. What are the elements of trade policy that you guys have seen that have really forced people to um, become economic migrants?
1: Sure. Um, so, with the passage of NAFTA, what, 20, almost 25 years ago, um, you know, some of the promises that this particular trade deal uh, had was that it was going to boost. Um, Economic development in Mexico, particularly, it was going to produce more jobs, um, and that it was going to open up the flows of trade so that people had more options and more the ability to, you know, for, for commerce to to free flow. So, what happened was that, yes, indeed, that might have happened, but it 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 was a an unequal balance. Um, So where the larger agricultural businesses um, in Mexico had access to this open market, but, you know, and and so what happened is a lot of folks, uh, a lot of uh, transnational corporations were able to um, move into Mexico and do business on a high scale with, you know, larger economies of scale. Um, And that really affected the more local independent farmer, and what took place, it, it was a huge, huge displacement of about 2 million people. When these big transnational corporations started to move in, um, you know, the, 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 I guess the doors were open for even, you know, uh, the likes of Walmart and folks like that. You can, you can understand how maybe local and more rural economies were directly impacted. Corn, for example, and other crops were being sold so cheaply in places like Walmart and other you know, larger um, supermarkets. Well, that just completely took over the market and it, it, it just decimated uh, farmers. And so this, the way that this whole trade deal intersects with migration is that in the United States, as we, are, as we all know, we don't necessarily have the migration policy in place to receive people. Um, even though we are a nation that benefits from the labor of immigrants, particularly during the time the the signing of NAFTA, right there was an exodus of a lot of Mexicans from south of the border who had to come here for work. Um, so these are you know definitely definitely economic migrants um, we, we in the United States, we don't have a policy that would accommodate them or say to them, um, here's a work permit. You can, you know, stay here and work. So there's nothing of the sort and there isn't, especially for for the poor sector of the population.
0: Right. Well, and I was, you know, it's kind of even like contrary to the rhetoric behind free trade, right? Is that, um, you know, countries should produce what they can produce most efficiently and the workers who are displaced should then find work in the more efficient industries. Well, what happened is, you know, the, I mean, mass, mass scale exports of corn and other grains went down into Mexico, displaced the farmers, but then they couldn't actually go work. uh, You know, at least legally, there was no mechanism for them to go work on in on the farms or, you know, for the corporations that had displaced them in the first place, because they were in another country. Um, What does the what does the workforce kind of look like? Um, in the United States of migrants um, who were displaced I guess
1: Sure um, so yeah you brought up maquiladoras and that's another factor that um, so this these trade deals opened up. I mean maquiladoras were already in place in places like Honduras and, and, and Mexico um, yeah, maquiladora the the most simp- the simplest way to explain it, it it's a sweatshop. And it is these large scale factories that would produce um, in higher quantities, utilizing cheap labor, long hours. Um, A lot of the workers um, standing or being on their feet for a long time um, due to no strict um, sort of uh, implementation of labor laws in, in certain, you know, in Mexico, especially with respect to these maquilas um it was easy to exploit um cheap labor for folks that just kind of you know they needed a job and so they they went off to work here trade deals like nafta opened up the floodgates for these maquiladoras who were many of them are u.s uh corporations many of them are you know european um and they 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 get to come into a place like mexico and set up shop Um, with very, very few restrictions. And under NAFTA, they also get to sort of operate on their own terms. They sort of have their own like court system where they can actually sue the states and, you know, a government like Mexico if if there's anything happening that would infringe in their profit-making ability.
0: So one of the, the big things that they would say when they were trying to promote NAFTA is that, oh, this is gonna raise wages in Mexico. Um, and, and the data is pretty clear that that hasn't happened. What is the, the sort of situation in, in Mexico for labor? Why haven't wages gone up?
1: I think, I mean, overall, it would be, ha- it's very hard to, for us in the United States to conceive, to even begin to conceive, right, the, the disparity in wage, in, in wage earnings uh, between us you know, I guess a first world country, even though I hate using that type of terminology, um, versus what they what we see as a third world country, right? So, so we're so close. We're bound by all of by the border, by you know, we're proximity, um, people, the flow of goods and people. But so we can't even imagine what it's like, right, for folks making barely making ends meet there. I don't. Um, a, a lot of it is. Mexico has had a long history of, of corruption. Um, and so part of corruption and impunity. Um, I mean, we continuously hear about how many cases, how many homicides and, you know, there's like the drug trade happening um, compounded by uh, economic policies that they, they um, have, have implemented over the last like 20, 30 years. That have not benefited working class people. Um, a lot of these are, you know, neoliberal economic models that they've basically extracted from countries like ours, like the United States, that they then take into a place like Mexico, and it's not a one-size-fits-all model. So it's it's failed policies around the the way they do um, economics, um, the way they pay their workers, um, la- very very weak. Uh, unions, so that workers are sort of left out in the cold without a way to do, you know, to, to really have um, a way to do collective bargaining. Um, and so you add the corruption in terms of like the way that uh, their political system is organized. And, and so you have this like perfect st- storm for inequality or like excessive inequality. Um, and then you compare it to a country like ours
0: and so it's, it's just, it's huge. Wage, wage growth didn't materialize in Mexico. People were displaced. So it makes sense that they would go somewhere where wages are higher, right? So this idea that, you know, people are coming to the United States to steal jobs or whatever, I mean, they, they came because there weren't really any other options. If someone was displaced, um, in say Michoacan, or you know, places where there have been a lot of mass displacement in Mexico, what's where do they end up? Like, how do they how do they go from being displaced to ending up on say like a large scale farm in the United States?
1: Sure. So in the United States, again, you know, this has this is directly connected to the lack of uh, migration policy to have people be able to, and I'll use the words that are often used out out, you know, when I just you know regular folks Um, why can't they come here the right way Um, there is no there is currently no right way the idea that that you're in line and you pay a a fee and you're you fill out a form and you're in is a myth the way that immigration policy in the United States works is that you can only get a visa if you can prove that you have um, finances homeownership Sable job, money in the bank in Mexico, for example. You can get a visa, like a 10-year visa. It's a tourist visa to come back and forth. But the United States wants to make sure you're not going to stay here. So in order for that to happen, they need to make sure that you are well off in your country as, you know, to make sure that you're not going to just kind of stay here. Those folks don't need to come <laughs> because they're, they're well <laughs> off in Mexico so that there's no problem there.
0: Right. So and if, the, if free trade theory worked the way it was supposed to work, like, I mean, that would be the ideal situation to migrate is you, you actually want to come to be in a more productive industry because you don't have that stuff in Mexico. Whereas if you did, like you said, if you did have that stuff. Right.
1: So for folks that don't have any of that, the, you know, we're talking about these 2 million farmers. Let's just keep that as an example. The ones that were displaced through NAFTA, through this bad, bad economic uh, trade deal, Those folks don't have any of that to prove, right? So they are migrating, it's forced migration. So they're being pushed out. Um, When they come here, um, because there is no um, sort of work permit that they can apply for, um, the agricultural visas or the work visas are very few, and they're very specialized. So it's enough to go around for all of the farmers in the United States that need this kind of labor. So what happens is we start to um, create an underground, an almost an underground uh, economy, uh, an under-the-table economy of workers who you can pay, who as an employer, you can pay cheap, a cheap wage to. So for bad employers, and I'm not saying you know, everyone's a bad employer, um, you're, you're, you're probably going to want to take advantage of that especially if it's a worker that comes from mexico and for him or her that below minimum wage um whatever that is is gonna be probably double or triple than what he can make in mexico so this is like the perfect it's, it's like it creates a perfect system for it's like a give and take um an unspoken sort of give and take me, you know, worker from Mexico, I need the job, I need the money to send back home to my family who I left back there. Um, and so I'm going to just work and just kind of look the other way and not say anything about, you know, if my, 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 my any labor laws are being violated, etc. Mm-hmm. And so I'm gonna work as many hours as I can, because I came here to work, make a living and send the money back home. So originally, Folks don't come here to stay here. They come with the intention to earn as many dollars as possible and send that money back home or take it back eventually. So that's the idea or the illusion. But I've been working with immigrant communities for the past fifteen, twenty years, and I can tell you, Josh, that many of those folks they don't end up going back.
0: I'm, I'm actually I'm really curious in what Alianza does around like building solidarity between people who are in the United States who have migrated to the United States and then people in their home countries. So talk about how you maintain those connections and maybe some of the ways in which you can kind of leverage that solidarity um, to improve people's lives, either here or there.
1: We've tried to be very intentional about being part of decision-making circles or, um, you know, we are, uh, um, so as as much as we do it here in the U.S. by way of, um, um doing direct advocacy right with our legislators um making sure that on issues that impact our communities directly um they have a voice and that we are stating our position um so we do the same in in countries like mexico and countries like like uh, honduras el salvador guatemala we recently hired a a um a per, a, she, I don't remember her title exactly, but she, a young woman who's going to be based out of El Salvador, for example, um, we saw that there's a need for us to do advocacy on site in in of origin, to, to have somebody there that would help us connect the dots. Um, if that means um, being part of coalitions, being part of panels, engaging in The everyday regular advocacy, right? Making sure that we are, um, you know, if if government is trying to pass or not implement a law that they should be, that Alianza Americas is at the table and pushing back on that, right? On whatever that is, especially um, with respect to temporary protected status. Temporary protected status was a designation, not necessarily a program, that was given to people from. Countries like El Salvador, Haiti, Honduras, um, who were decimated with either a um, natural catastrophe, like or any political stability, um, civil war that may be happening in the country, um, which gives people the ability, if they were residing in the United States, it gave them the ability to have a work permit um, and a social security number, so to stay lawfully in the U.S. and work lawfully in the United States. Well, that permit had been. Um, renewed continuously for years after years. And there again, because there's a lack of immigration policy that this population was sort of just kind of, it it is sort of like a limbo status because it didn't gain you any rights to eventually become a US citizen um, or even a lawful permanent resident, but it just kept you in that TPS, temporary protected status for years and years. So that again, that's another failure. Of us, of our inaction in the United States with respect to, to immigration policy. So those are one of the things. So on the side, the way that we organize ourselves around that is that we, you know, we we try to do as much as much uh, work possible in terms of raising awareness about first of all what this is. We found that a lot of people weren't even aware about the status here, um, even policymakers or legislators at times. Um, and on the side of uh, countries of origin we're also trying to um, i mean to to a certain extent influence governments there so that they can also um, put pressure on on the United States to find a solution to this problem find a solution that is not again displacing people because what the administration is doing right now is um, eliminating these these um, these are the TPS um, all together and it's actually going to put people in an undocumented state after their um, TPS expires. We also try to influence um, this policymaking um, by inserting ourselves in these spaces in places like Mexico where um, there's discussions around you know how for example how are migrants treated there because that's another factor. So while we advocate for better treatment and integration of migrants here in the United States, we also have to be doing the same with respect to our neighbors to the South, right? We can't, um, and by no means, um, I mean, there's still a lot of violations of human rights that take place there right. with respect to immigrants that are coming from Central America and they sort of, you know, they're just kind of, you know, crossing through Mexican territory and they're, they are, they fall into an undocumented state as well. So um, we have to remember, so places, things like people that, why they're coming sometimes from Central America, it's important to, for us to always take a look and really dig deeper into the root causes of what
0: what is causing people to leave. So, um, you know, obviously these are kind of difficult times with the Trump administration. Um, A lot of people have been, I guess, stepping up um, to uh, resist against ICE raids um, and um, provide welcoming and open spaces for immigrants. Um, What's something that we could be advocating for that would be be helpful for um, immigrants who are already here, but then um, to you know, maybe address some of these routes of migration causes?
1: Um, well, definitely a provision for the mobility of people um, mm-hmm. within these trade agreements. Um, otherwise, we're going to see the same exact thing happen. Um, you know, we, we, we didn't account for the movement of people in the original NAFTA 25 years ago, and, that, and we're seeing the repercussions now. We're seeing the, the effects so, um, definitely having organizations that represent people um, be at the table, at the negotiating table, is another one. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, we can't just continue to let, like, corporations dictate the terms of these agreements. Um, because then, you know, the, the ordinary folks, working class folks, are the ones that are, are left out and, and, and lose so I think those two things, you know, if we're if 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 there are some of your folks out there listening are you know care about this issue, um, they see the correlation, they see how trade is impacting migration. Um, you know, c- talking to your legislators, or if you're belong to some circles of influence having to do with this, talking about how are people and workers going to be impacted, and making it a point. Um, to put in provisions for, um, you know, for folks to be able to, you know, if we're going to need workers as part of these trade deals, if we're going to need workers here, well then the smart thing to do would be to um, put in provisions that would allow for, for folks to legally be here.
0: Um, Well, Christina Garcia, thanks a lot for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Thank you, Josh. It was great.
0: You've been listening to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Uh, For more about what you've heard, including to... Uh, read IATP's work on the links between trade and immigration, you can visit our website at www.iatp.org. I want to thank Andrew Arisso, who's editing this episode, and remind you that you can download Uprooted on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.